In the Fuzzy Memories podcast, we celebrate the good, the rad, and the fugly of the 80s and 90s. We're three latchkey kids who made it out alive. And in each episode, we break down all the culture that popped one year at a time. Whether it's the birth of legends. I'm Lyme disease free today and I have Whitney Houston and MTV to thank. (laughs) Or audacious moves. Imagine also the the poor Golden Gate Bridge. You turn 75 and people have a party on you. I don't want that. Or even confusing PSAs. In the stop, drop, and roll. I mean, we would, I assume as an adult, I would catch on fire weekly. All the time! (laughs) We've got a take that will make you laugh. We've also got thoughts on all sorts of random phenomena and the most unmitigated of golf. Why sharks can't be trusted, people can't be trusted, and rivers can't be trusted. (laughs) It's collusion. It's of the highest degree! Uh Uh-huh. You were counseling me to start my remarks with, first of all, bitch. <laughs> that one, everyone in that room would have snapped to attention. It's going to be basically coffee lids, shark revenge, and then maybe like Matt gets. <laughs> we need to do something about him. Join us every other Wednesday to celebrate the hits, the misses, and the misfits of the weirdest decades. If I could tell my 14-year-old self from 1990 that I would be eating in a cheesecake factory in, in Beverly, Beverly Hills, I'd be like, we did it. We, we did it, Joe. We did it. <laughs> Listen and subscribe to Fuzzy Memories on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and your favorite podcast platform. Hello, and welcome to Broads and Books. I'm Amy. And I'm Erin, and this is a very special bonus episode, our favorite reads of 2021. Listen, 2021 was generally shitty. Can we call it that? Yeah. It was, yeah, not, I think it was that's not, not great. Um, a, no. lot of, a lot of bad things happened in mm-hmm. the year. Mm-hmm. Uh, had high hopes for it. It did not deliver for the high hopes. No, 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 not on any level. No, no. no. And Mm -hmm. and one of those is, is, is why we're doing this via zoom today because, um, (laughs) yes. Yeah. The, the hip new Omicron variant has hit you hard, Aaron. It has. I had a a child that tested positive. It's Um, the damn children. It's the children's fault. Why did I have them? I don't don't know. I don't know, but (laughs) I don't know if you notice in the news that there's just no tests. So I have no idea if I do have it, but I'm assuming and operating as though I do. And that's what we're all doing because we know one of them has it specifically. So this is where we're at. And I was telling you before this as well, that I may have it as well. I'm feeling weird. There's some things going on with my face and my head that I don't like. And so it's either Omicron or it's, you know, um, the bubonic plague or it's, uh, uh, you know, who knows what it is. Polio. <laughs> Perimenopause. Could be so many, many things. It could just be a woman. Being a woman in 2021. All that, that is true. Say, we mm-hmm. are communicating via Zoom on we the are. day. We are. Mm-hmm. And like we said, 2021 was shitty. But mm-hmm. there were some bright spots. Agreed. Including some of the things that we read for this podcast. 
And we kind of thought that if you're anything like us, you might have missed some stuff because you were in weird head spaces in yeah. 2021. Yeah. And so we thought you might have missed a few picks, and this will help you get the most out of your TBR pile. We're going to highlight some of our favorite reads. We're not picking best books. No. We're just saying we love these for whatever reason. Yeah. And hey, if you need to start 2022 off right, you can choose one of these books or one of these pop culture picks, and you'll yes. be starting in a good place. Absolutely. So we each, yeah, we each picked a few things that we have talked about over the past year. And we threw in a, a few pop culture favorites as well. And, you know, because sometimes we needed ways to unwind. We needed ways to put our mind to rest. So we're going to pick a few like hobbies and things that helped us get through the dumpster fire, the raging, raging, unending dumpster fire of really the last two years. So bad. Just so, so, bad. so bad. So, so bad. bad. So bad. So I think it's only fair. We're going to start right away. And we're going to, what's one of your favorite reads from this year, Amy? Well, I'm going to choose one that you and I both loved. And it's called Night Bitch. I, knew, I put this on my list and I was like, I, I will bet that Amy picks this too. Because yeah. it's that good. This is a, a, this was one of our rare dual picks where we both chose the same book. And mm-hmm. I didn't write down what theme this was for because I am unprepared for this episode. But, I didn't write down anything. Okay, good. <laughs> didn't even occur until you said that now. So, <laughs> didn't even occur to me. I want to blame Omicron. Just blame it all on Omi. It's not, blame it on the Cron. Yep, on the Cron. But you know what? We can't blame on Omicron. Was the beauty that is Night Bitch. Because oh my gosh, I think, don't you think too, like this was the perfect year for it to come out because this book is about a mother who has a young child who is in such a weird, weird headspace that she believes she's turning into a dog. Mm -hmm. And over the course of the book, you start to believe her that she Mm -hmm. is turning into a dog, that this is one of those books in which this is happening. You, Mm -hmm. You know? It, it could be in her head. It could be the, the world is such a weird topsy-turvy place that she is turning into a dog and she becomes a better person and a better mother because of that transformation. And I figure, you know, in 2021, we may have turned into things that we didn't recognize. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we I agree. Engaged in activities that uh, we wouldn't have done a few years ago. I would I have agree. been fine with turning into a dog last year. I yeah, I see their problems. I bet dogs were having a great time last year. They've gotten so much attention, for one. So much attention. Yeah, I would see no problem with it. And as a parent, I would say it spoke to me on the same levels of just the absolute burnout we're all facing. And like, wow, actually, I might be really bad at this. I think there was a, a general sense of doubt for everyone. Like, maybe I shouldn't have had kids. Yeah. Because this is a lot harder than I anticipated. Right, because you didn't. Yeah. Well, because you didn't anticipate the two years, the last two years, but also, yeah, I think there's so much about parenthood that we don't talk about in culture and motherhood in particular, particular, yeah, the ways in which we don't support mothers and the ways in Mm -hmm. which mothers are just supposed to fix everything and just do everything Mm -hmm. and still be a functioning human being. Yes. Hard. That's hard. Yeah. And that spoke specifically well in that book, just speaking, like you said, to the dark parts that we don't talk about. Yeah. And, 
and the idea that you're supposed to not have those feelings. Like oh. not only do we not talk about it, we act as though there's a problem if you do have those feelings, which I would argue it's probably healthier that you have them. Yeah. I mean, a well-formed total person is going to have those feelings. Uh-huh. You feel like you're losing part of yourself. That's just part of the deal. So mm-hmm. I loved putting that in the context that she did. It reads so quickly. Mm-hmm and propulsively. And I think her writing allowed you to really feel centered in that story. Yeah. Not, not like you were watching it from the outside, but like you were in it. Mm-hmm. And she's from Iowa. Yes. So we, we love a good Iowan doing right. Absolutely. And this has been optioned for a movie, correct? I think so with Amy. Yeah. Adams. Yes, that's right. Yep. Mm-hmm. Fellow redhead. Love her. See? Yeah. Solid choice. Solid choice. You got her. Well, you know what? I'm going to go ahead and jump right on that train with you that you're on. Okay. Um, talking about a book that I think really illustrated some other parts of motherhood that we don't talk about. Hmm. And that's called The Push by oh, Ashley Audrain. Yeah, that was good. And I was going to say, I know you read it too. So it's another, you know, double pick, but it's kind of the same idea, you know, giving voice to these thoughts that you have that could be considered dark or maybe not perfect mother material. Um, when should you trust your own instinct? You know, how, how much can you belittle a person so that they don't even trust themselves anymore? And I think that happens, people don't realize how often that happens to mothers, especially new mothers, where they're just sort of belittled into nothing. Like, oh, obviously you just don't know, you're not doing this right. And that's why you feel that way. Instead of giving voice to like, okay, let's explore that. and. I thought that she did an amazing job of writing a really interesting plot around that idea. And it was, it's a quick read because you got, you just want to get to the end. You have to know what's going on. Yeah. Yeah. It's dark. Oh man. It's very propulsive. I also like too, that like, like you said, that uh, it really digs into some of the shame that's put on mothers too, especially if you don't really connect to your child because she has this child she doesn't feel connected to for many Mm -hmm. reasons. And is just shamed by herself, by her husband, by society. Like, it's just, you're supposed to feel this instant, you know, mind blowing and maternal love and she doesn't. Mm -hmm. And then what happens? Yeah. Yeah. It's a fantastic story. Loved it. Can't wait for more stuff from her, but same theme. So I thought that would piggyback on you there. Well, excellent. And I'm going (laughs) to, I'm going to do a hard veer. Do it. Yeah. Maybe it, it, there may be a connection. Um, I'm going to choose a certain hunger. LCG. <gasps> another good one. This was the story of a 50 something woman who, it, uh, well, she does some stuff and she, <laughs> I mean, you learn this very early on. She, you do. Kill, she kills her lovers and then eats them or eats portions of them. Mm-hmm. And we, over time, become very close to this character, even to the point of maybe understanding why she does what she does, mm-hmm. while still being like, I don't think I want to eat um, the portion of the batoks that uh, she has made into an elaborate feast. Yeah. I, I really like the book for the like deep dive into the female psyche. Um, you know, why, why sometimes even normal women normal in quotes, are driven to really strange extremes because of the schizophrenia of our society. 
And I really enjoyed that we got to talk to her as well. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. And she was a goddamn delight. Hilarious. So funny. Yeah. It was like everything you hoped for when you read the book and you realize like, oh, she's so dark and funny in real life too. That's amazing. You should definitely read the book and then follow her Instagram because she's yes. also really funny on Instagram. Lots of really funny insights. Um, I also wanted to point out something that you said when we talked about it in our episode, which is you are a strong vegan. You have been doing that for years and years. Yes. And this might sound like it would be gross, yeah. but the writing and the story doesn't take you there. And you had mentioned that yourself that, you know, it, it, it wasn't like that at all for you. It was very, you just get engrossed in the story. So don't think it's, you know, you're going to get grossed out by it or creeped out or anything. The, right. the writing is phenomenal. And this may be a sign of who I am, but I was way more creeped out by like, there's scenes at a farm where they're like, you know, preparing these animals for slaughter. And I was way more grossed out by that than by her killing her lovers and eating portions of her, their bodies. And that may just indicate where I am in, in the animals versus human spectrum. And I was going to say, we need to unpack that, but I don't think we do. I think it's fine. I think it's, I think it's right. I think it's, I think it's natural. I think everything I've said on the podcast up to this point proves that out. Yeah, I would say so. Mm -hmm. I would say discussion about cannibalism early on. (laughs) Given that you thought that was a good moral question. As a vegan, I was like, okay, I see where her line is. She does not feel for people the same way she does for animals. And that is, that's justified. Yeah. Because I would say more of our human population is tainted than the animal population. Animals are pure and humans are stupid. Right. That's where I'm at. You know, that's true. With a few exceptions, you know, like you. you. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Yeah, Some days. Some days. And he and our friends, you know. Yeah. 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 Um, Okay. Well, I'm going to take another pivot. Let's do it. And I'm going to go into one of my favorite uh, nonfiction reads of this year. Mm -hmm. And that was um, because I just mixed up my fiction and nonfiction picks because I couldn't, Mm -hmm. I I couldn't decide. Um, And that was called Hidden Valley Road by Robert Coker. Yeah. Yeah. I, I tend to sometimes shy away from like really big, long books because I wonder if how is that going to keep my attention or like, you know, I want to read, get through other things. So I have to really be invested when I see it's like over 400 pages and it's a long book, but it is so insightful. The way that he set up the structure, it follows a family who had multiple members that were diagnosed with schizophrenia or other mental health issues. And he also follows the path of medicine and how we haven't gotten very far, even in modern day of how to treat these illnesses, how to help families cope with it. And the way that he did that alternating chapter to chapter, but also interweaving their stories, it was so brilliant. Um, He happened to come as part of the Avid series in our area. So I listened to him speak and the amount of research and time that that book took is it's overwhelming. I mean, to spend that much time on a project, but have it be done so beautifully and to tell this story that could be very sensationalized in a way that was powerful and also important in moving the needle on how we deal with mental health. Mm -hmm. I loved it. I loved every second of it. I think it's a great read. Um, If you haven't done it, it's worth it. It's worth every page. It's so interesting. And I think no matter what 
your personal situations are, you're going to get something out of it. Mm-hmm. So highly recommend. Wow. I was just getting confused in my mind. He's not the same author that did the uh, Sackler book. No, no. I also had that on my list, but that's Patrick Radden Keefe did oh, the Empire yeah, of Pain. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I'm getting all of these nonfiction guys. Yeah. I know. Yeah. Yeah. Robert did the um, Lost Girls oh, one yeah, that yeah, they yeah, made yeah. into yeah. a Netflix, yeah. which was also a beautiful structure in that. Right. So, well, he's definitely proven that he can take a very sensitive topic that could be exploitive mm-hmm. and do it in a way that really honors the story and yeah. humanizes the characters instead of making them characters. Yeah. And I think that that's a, a talent that some people that would be very hard to do. Very hard. To so, do. yeah. yeah. He's very good well, at thinking of sort of sensitive topic and turning it into a story. My next book is we are watching Eliza Bright by A.E. Osworth. And the reason I say that is because it takes place, the narrator for most of the book is in the Manosphere, which is, in case we haven't talked about it in recent memory, the area on Reddit and online where very virulent anti-women men are hanging out. And they're Mm -hmm. often, um, you know, coalescing around topics like games. So this story, We Are Watching Eliza Bright, is basically a a take on Gamergate, where, uh, you know, a a woman gets involved in the video gaming industry, and how dare she? And she must be sleeping with the boss, because how could she have any talent or anything? (laughs) Good Lord, no. So... There's a, a series of events that escalate into her being doxxed and stalked and the the owner, you know, just kind of like, oh, God, what do I do about this? It's a brilliant book. And we talked to A.E. A. E. Osworth as well, which was fascinating. And, a they great interview. and one of the things like I was curious about and they were telling us is, you know, hanging out in the manosphere to get that sort of voice and that cadence and everything and to be able to sort of understand it in a way to make it into a story that's believable, but then not get totally infected by it. And the way that they talked about it and the way that they handled it and how I remember they said that they had to sort of face their own internal transphobia and anti-woman, you know, misogynistic uh, thinking that the culture puts on us. It was so fascinating. So anyway, read the book, listen to the interview. It, it's a yes. double one-two punch of things. Amazing. Absolutely amazing. Uh, that was a good one. I didn't even think of that it one. It wasn't that conversation. Like it was like a moment we weren't feeling good about things. And then we had a great talk. And yes. It was so great. It was. Yeah. It was a rough week and that they were a bright spot. Yes, Let's just say that. Yeah, very much so. Um, all right. Well, this is a, this is a, a short story collection that I didn't even realize how much I was thinking about it until I started looking through the list. And I realized a couple of the stories came from that. And I don't think without seeing the title, I even would have put that, but that's kind of genius writing. It's called Fuckface by oh, Leah Hampton. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I think that Carter Sickles actually recommended this yeah, in our yeah, interview. And I, these stories, for whatever reason, there was something about her writing and putting these characters in touch with nature and odd jobs and just being at odds, basically, with your environment, everyone in it, um, that stuck with me. There's a couple stories specifically that I think about a lot. I don't know why the characters pop into my head, but it was enjoyable. And uh, I read it really quickly. I 
just thought she did a really great job of creating interesting characters that felt real, but that were also saying something new. So and the, I don't, we don't have any to go with that one. The title <laughs> is just everything. Yeah. It's a very attractive title. Makes me want to read it. It does. It is very, yeah. very much so. Mm-hmm. Um, another hard pivot because there's real no way yes. into it. That's all we're doing is pivots. Hard pivots. Um, is the final revival of Opal and Nev by Donnie Walton. Mm-hmm. This one I positively gushed about to you, Aaron, Yes, while I was reading it and on the show. It's another um, oral history type format um, mm-hmm. where uh, a very uh, dynamic uh, duo of musicians, Opal and Nev, sort of set the like proto-punk world on fire in the 70s. And now in this present time of the book, the interviewer is discussing, you know, their past with them, discussing a possible reunion, discussing this very traumatic and highly publicized event that not everyone has the full story to. And the way that the book gets into music, the way it gets into performance um, is just incredible. And I think I remember um, describing the final scenes, just chills up and down my body, which is a, a, you know, when you know that they're writing about music, right. And, you know, I, obviously I'm, I'm obsessed with music and that type of music in particular. And it was, uh, it was such a, such a joy to read. You know, I have heard that pop up on a few other like end of year list. This is always the time that people put out. And I have heard that recommended in quite a few contexts. But I think if if you want more information about it, you should go back to that episode because the way that you described it would make anyone want to read that book. (laughs) (laughs) Seriously. It was one of the, you know, how when you finish a book sometimes and you're just like, that was unlike anything I've ever read, but it, it feels so familiar at the same time. And it feels like, I wished this into being in some way. Yeah. Yeah. It was truly remarkable. The only downside to books like that is that I need a few days. Like I can't get into another book because I'm like, well, it's not that. It's total book hole after that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Okay. I'm going to do one that is um, another short story collection that came out this year that I was also addicted to. And I very rarely read things twice, very rarely, because I don't have time. I mean, we're, we're getting through other things. And I read this book twice. It, it happens to be your book. That's just, I mean, an accident. It doesn't, it's really not, you know, related to the fact that you're on the podcast, but I would say, dig me out. It feels like it's been set up. It does, but I'm telling you that it was not people. Okay. I looked through my list of books I read and I was like, well, that has to go on it because I read it twice. And that's so rare. That's, I don't, that makes me feel very, very good. Yeah. I was trying to think of the last book, maybe Weather by Jenny O'Phil. I I read twice. That like you write afterwards. Yeah. Yeah. And this was, and that was for a different reason. But this one, I think I read twice because I read it so fast because it was so propulsive. And then I was like, I missed stuff. I need to go back and like reread these and give these characters you know, room to expand. And that's exactly what happened. I would put it in the same category as Leah Hampton in that I think of the character sometimes and th- it just sticks with you. And it's it's new and it's different and it's a new way to talk about issues that women face all the time. I love the whole premise of, I'm not going to make it cute for you. Like this isn't, I'm done with that. I don't need to make this pretty. Like this is what it is. And 
I think that this was the year of refreshing female voices. And I would put that in that category. It was like, that's all I wanted. And that book delivered 100%. None of this is set up. Amy did not write the copy for me. Nope, nope. In fact, in my head, I'm scrambling to be like, what do I, what do I say now? Do I just go into my pick? What do I do? So yeah. This and is- that's all you, yeah, yeah. You just, that's fine. Because it's you, the author, and you, the podcast host. It's two separate things. But I couldn't. It didn't feel right to have a favorite reads and not include that on there. And I think any of our listeners that have read it would agree that it belongs on all of the end of year lists. Thank you very much. And also, I I do really like the idea that it's part of this theme of, you know, like women that are sort of living without with, you know, not necessarily a fuck you attitude, but more of just like a, you know, I'm not going to make it pretty for you. Like I said, that that felt very, very true. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm happy if I'm part of that. So that's awesome. You, you are hundred percent. If only I could <laughs> channel that into my real life. I just like to put it into books and into writing. I know. Hoping I know that it will seep into me via osmosis. Yeah. That's a tough, that's a tough thing though. Right. I mean, that's why I think we relate to characters so much is they're all doing and saying the things we want to do and say, but I think that's absolutely it. Like when I get super obsessive about TV, which we'll get into here, but when I get super obsessive about TV shows or characters in TV shows, I think it's, it's a little bit of like wish fulfillment. Like I wish I could be saying those kinds of things. I wish that I could be living in that way. I wish that I could be, you know, as brave as that person. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. hundred yeah, percent. Well, okay. So my fifth and final mm-hmm. pick. Okay. Mm-hmm. This is Let's Get Back to the Party by Zach Lee. Yes. And great cover. This, oh God, it's such a great cover. Guy covered in glitter with glitter mm-hmm. tears. Yes. Glitter. Glitter. Um, I think, you know, it's interesting you said a couple times that the characters in books have stuck with you this year. And this is one of those where the there's multiple generations of gay men in this book and the characters and the things that are sort of revealed about those generations and about our society as at large has stuck with me a lot. And generally the, the main characters are two guys in their like late thirties. So, uh, you know, millennial era, um, gay men. And then the two of them in various situations interacting with the younger generation. So the generation, you know, of kids that are coming out in this world where we're accept generally more accepting of gender fluidity and of sexuality and of just being able to live who you are a little bit more authentically. And then the older generation, the generation that lived through AIDS and the generation that lived through horrific homophobia and the, the behaviors that they engaged in in order to fight against that. And then this sort of like wedge generation between them. And I I thought it's so interesting. The characters are very, very compelling. Um, I like that there's the two main guys are sort of struggling between like, do I go the conventional heteronormative route of marriage and kids and all that kind of stuff? Or do I say, fuck all of that? And do I live my life uh, authentically queer and just, you know, say no, no rules, no norms, no traditions, no anything. Um, It it is very male focused, but I think it's also anyone in the LGBTQ community, I think could, you know, really glom onto this as well as, you know, straight folks. If you're, you know, really kind of wanting to see how our society has forged very different types of people and the insanity that it sort of makes everyone live through. 
I remember when you were talking about that pick, how much it seemed to encompass all of these different viewpoints and, yeah. and put them into one. And yeah, I remember that, how powerful that you said that book was. Mm-hmm. So not surprised to see yeah. it here. Absolutely. Uh, my last one, it's kind of a, a three for one. And here's oh. why, because when I was thinking about my favorite books and it's no secret that I'm, I love true crime. My husband and I watch a lot of true crime. Um, but I have found myself to be a little more selective in my true crime reading. And I was confused as to why that was happening. And I think that it was for a couple different reasons, but this is why I packed these three together. First is Empire of Pain that you mentioned earlier with Patrick Radden Keefe, which is the entire story of the Sackler dynasty. And the main reason I put this on here, it's beautifully written, but the main reason I did that is because reading that book gave me insight now into what's happening in the news in a way that I don't think you get if you just hear the news. There's been a lot of court decisions within the last couple of months involving yeah. the Sacklers. And if you really, his research is so well done and he got so much inside information that it really illustrates the players and it makes you understand just how much more you want there to be better justice. So I, I put that on there because I think it is a true crime book. These were crimes. You don't realize it, but because some people take the stance that, oh, you know, they're just a manufacturer. You can't hold them responsible for people's addiction. But when you go through the book and you find out that they systematically knew exactly what they were doing and intended people to get addicted, it very much turns into a crime. And I feel like that's the theme of this year, which is the genre shifted. Like, we're not just talking about straightforward husband kills a wife crime anymore. We're talking about uh, fraud, all kinds of different things. This is the year that we've got, you know, Elizabeth Holmes from Theranos on trial. We've got Ghislaine Maxwell on trial. Mm-hmm. I mean, we had a lot of really interesting court cases. And it made me think about how my mind has changed a little in terms of true crime. And the two other books I'm pairing with it are the reason for that. And first one is called The Real, Real Lolita from Sarah Weinman. Mm-hmm. And the second one is Savage Appetites from Rachel Monroe, which was a collection of essays and stories, um, or or longer form essays, I shouldn't say stories, because none of it's not, uh, none of it is fiction, it's all nonfiction, Uh, that really got got into why are we interested in true crime, and what is it, are we voyeurs, what is it about ourselves that really grips into that, and the real Lolita does that in an interesting way, because it takes a story we've just accepted as this classic novel and really digs into what happened and that there's actually truly a crime behind this. And Savage Appetite says the same thing. It talks about our need to watch it on TV and our need to be a part of it. And when is it exploitive and when isn't it? And when is it just helping us better understand our surroundings? And I would say that this year has sort of taught us that the more that we understand true crime and the more nuanced it becomes, it helps us move forward in the reach for justice and say, no, you know what? We don't have a specific crime yet for that, but that's not right. And we need to do something about it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's not okay. You know, and and I don't mean that to say that I'm okay with, you know, just throwing a bajillion crimes at someone. So they end up in court. I'm just saying that we're starting to look at things differently. And Elizabeth Holmes, you know, especially in terms of fraud, like, no, you, you knew some stuff. And you had to be held responsible for the fact that you're not being honest mm-hmm. and transparent. And that was the same thing in Empire of Pain is like, yeah, maybe you didn't shove those pills down someone's throat, but we can definitely trace a line of responsibility. Mm-hmm. And I 
I think that's an interesting place for true time crime to go because previously we want it wrapped up in a nice little package. Yeah. And now I think we're okay with it getting messy and saying, Oh, we got to really wrestle with this and figure out what it means. That's a really good point too, that it feels like maybe true crime evolved over last year to encompass some really big, like conspiracy type stuff, as well as highlighting some areas of accountability that we yes. need to be holding people to. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And there's so many things to watch this year in terms of trials and just some of that stuff has big implications for mm-hmm. our legal system down the road yeah. or, and sometimes when justice isn't served in the way that, you know, as society, we think it should be, it's served us to say, you know what, we need to change some laws. We don't need to be imprisoning people for a thousand years for certain offenses. And on the flip side, maybe we need to have better self-defense laws in Wisconsin, for example, mm-hmm. you know, there's just, it illustrates that there's areas that we're missing. And yeah. I think people are starting to get nuanced enough to say, Oh, I see why this is a problem now. Mm-hmm. I get it. And we need to do something about it. Yeah. So interest. Yeah. It's just been an interesting year for true crime things. Yeah. Boy, starting from the very beginning, I was just remembering that it was January 6th. That was the insurrection. And then the whole year just took off from there. Does that feel like a year ago though? It feels like way longer, but also like just last week. Yes. I know they were showing uh, this morning on the morning news, they were showing because we're coming up on the anniversary of January 6th and they were talking about it. And I was like, oh my God, that was a year. It feels like it was, yeah. But you know what I remembered is when Heath and you and I had our sort of mid-year pop culture thing last year and Heath reminded us, not only did the insurrection take place in 2021, but also the inauguration. I was like, oh shit, that's right. Yeah. That year felt like a very never ending never ending year the weird olympics took place oh god (laughs) i mean there's so So many many things things. so many things yeah so many things and you know it's interesting that in in just any year there's a lot of bad shit that happens but it feels like in the last two years we're on the lookout for it because it feels like everything is shit Mm -hmm. and the 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 audacity of people is ramping up so it's just weirder and weirder and weirder right how many days let me just ask this this is a psa how many days do i need to turn on the news and see someone <laughs> acting a fool on an airplane <laughs> i thought you were going to say like giving a weird excuse for banning a book like oh theory. well that too but yeah. I, I just the airplane ones just keep happening yeah and i don't i don't understand i don't understand what it is what do you think is okay about that on an airplane? I mean, it's not no, it's not good in any situation, but I would think an airplane would tell you it's doubly bad. Like, yeah, but you know, I think some people are just like no rules anymore, right? None. If I'm standing up for some kind of belief, then I must be fine. God, if you can't be bothered to wear a fucking mask to Target, then your your views are suspect, sir suspect stop throwing punches well you know what something really good happened last year and that is the pop culture moment of barb and star go to vista del (gasps) (laughs) (laughs) this is truly great this is truly great i mean we needed it Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and Kristen wig and annie momolo they delivered it Mm -hmm. and i invite you right now 
If you need a little pick-me-up starting into 2022, watch Barb and Star. Go to Vista Del Mar on Hulu. It is about two middle-aged women who um, decide that they need they need a little something new in their lives. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they decide that the most exotic, wonderful place they can go is Vista Del Mar, Florida. Mm-hmm. And that tells you a lot of what you need to know. Um, the other things you need to know are that Jamie Dornan plays a um, rather inept um, and besotted uh, assassin um, mm-hmm. who has his own musical number, which is everything you can Ooh. want and more. Yes, it um, is. And uh, there's so many like nice little cameos throughout. Um, mm-hmm. Really, there's just nothing else you need to know about it except that it is prime hilarity. And yes. there is um, a, a moment where the three of those people are lined up on a bed. And I've used that picture multiple times this year because it just makes me smile every time I look at it. It is phenomenal. And I watched that based on your recommendation. And I was texting you the whole time because I was like, I can't stop laughing at this. And And the thing is, I only watched it once and now I have to watch it again because I was laughing so hard and I wasn't stopping. I missed a lot. Yeah. I need to go back and rewatch the saga of Trish because that's, that's a nice payoff at the end. And it also is. Kristen Wiig plays the middle-aged woman, but also the grand villain of the story. There's a dual role thing happening. And her as a villain. To realize. Yeah, because it's her costuming is terrific. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah, her as a villain is delightful. Everything you could want in a villain, really. And what's great is like she actually plays a villain in Wonder Woman 1984. And she's phenomenal. And here, this is like a comic villain. And she's phenomenal at that, too. She can do everything, Kristen. She can do everything. 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 She's also the best parts of that movie, by the way. Wonder Woman 1984. So if you haven't seen that, too. Another Kristen. I haven't. I have not. Yeah. And I don't doubt that she's amazing. Because she's amazing at everything that Mm -hmm. she does. Mm -hmm. Um, Well... I was telling Amy before we started recording that I put down a whole bunch of pop culture picks. Yeah. That then I realized Amy had picked. <laughs> <laughs> Which tells you that I watch a lot of Amy's picks after the fact. Or maybe we were watching at the same time. It's, or a whatever, good thing but- we, it's a good thing we keep meticulous records on what we pick each week. Because, yeah, it all just sort of goes together into the communal <laughs> pool of things that we then watch together. And, yeah. Uh-huh. Yes. And I would be remiss if I didn't put this at the top of my list, um, even though you did pick it and I was late to the party. One of my brightest pop culture spots this year was Ted Lasso. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't, I, I didn't know I needed it, mm-hmm. but I needed it. And yeah. I don't know what it was. I think that done incorrectly, that show could have been grating and annoying because who's that positive, but it was just a it's just great. And there's not a lot to explain about it other than it's just great. And it's a great thing to do if you are feeling a little bit at sea and sort of lost in everything that's going on and feeling like this is never going to end and there's nothing good. And I don't know why we're trying, which is every other day right now, it seems like. (laughs) So it's, it's worth it. And I loved where they took second season. I thought it was genius. The writing in second season to me, 
tells me that those writers knew exactly what they were doing for season. And it's, it's brilliant to me. I just, I loved it. So I, it was an original Amy pick. I put it on my back shelf and then I pulled it out and I was like, God damn it. I know this. I need to watch it right when Amy says it because Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'm so mad. It took me so long. (laughs) So good. So good. It's a good one. Yeah. I still haven't seen the second season, but I, because, well, and part of the reason is I tried to log into Apple TV and it asked me for my password and I forgot my password. And so then I just haven't, I've avoided it since. That's fair. That's fair. I've done that I as need well. to go look it up and I can't, and it, it's, it's too much. That's work. When you're, it's work. Yeah. when you're ready to watch TV, I can't do this. No. I can't do all the passwords. Do you no. want me to log into something? No. Then I'm just going to go over to HBO Max and never ask me to log in, sir. Well, I will tell you that I made a mistake on the podcast and said you had to have an Apple device to get Apple TV. That's not true. Not true. You, you can get the app on a Roku. Mm-hmm. I, I think you can get it on a Fire Stick. I didn't realize that. And then you can get an Apple subscription without having anything. It's the same as an HBO Max subscription. It works the same. So yeah. if that is stopping you, don't <laughs> let it stop you because I did for a long time. And You know what, Aaron? I like know. that you take the time to correct yourself on your past mistakes that you yeah. know that you have gone on mm-hmm. record saying something and you're like, no, that's wrong. And I need it's to, not it's true. not it's true. It's not true. And I was so wrong. And it took me months to figure out that I was wrong. I didn't even try. I was just like, no, I don't have an Apple device. I give up. Well, and that was also the story of HBO Max, because at first when we were talking about <laughs> that, you're like, what, what is it? How do I get it? How does one procure the max of the HBO? Like I already have HBO. Well, <laughs> Here's what I didn't realize. I finally did research on the HBO Max thing. And it was because I have, because of some dispute, HBO Max wasn't going on to Roku TVs, which is what I had. I had the same thing. Yeah. So I couldn't get it for a while. Yeah. Like my brain, why didn't I Google that first? Why didn't I do that? Instead, I just let my brain short circuit. It was like, it's just something I don't understand. I'm out. That's what I do all the time. Something remotely starts to scare me or worry me. And I'm like, no, shut it down. Shut no, it done. down. I was just like a 90 year old with a smartphone. I don't know. Nope. <laughs> nope. Nope. You ask your kids to come over and be like, fix this for me, Sonny. I, I have tried to avoid doing that just so I don't lose my credibility, but. Oh, well, that's common happened. for sure. It's, yeah. it's happened a few times with Mason. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I've done it with your kids where like, I'm like, this faucet doesn't work. Come over here, Sonny. And <laughs> so I think you're allowed. Yeah. Yeah. I guess so. We'll give it that. Yeah. Yes. Um, I think the other thing to talk about was like hobbies and things that got us through. You know? And I think one of the things I've gone on record multiple times on the podcast this year, where I'm just at a mental place where I can't watch a lot of new stuff. I can't watch like, like every true crime documentary you've recommended over the year. I'm just like, nope, I'm not in the space for it. I can't do it. And I realized like I just needed some, some simple stuff. But for so long, I sort of guilted myself into like, why are you watching this stupid show? Why are you watching? And it took, it's taken me a long, long time to just be like, it's because I enjoy it. And yeah, it may be stupid, but I enjoy it. So my thing this year, I think, is trying to, to guilt watch without the guilt. Like to just recognize that like, yes, I'm going to watch Once Upon a Time for the fifth time. Or yes, I'm watching all of Vampire Diaries. I'm doing all of it because it feels good 
And that's what I need at this particular moment. Does it say that I've become stupid in some way? No, it just says that I need this. And I know that sounds very simple, but it's been a battle in my head. And it's taken like things like recognizing. So over at the beginning of this year, you know this, Aaron, but I got a diagnosis of autism. And I, over the year, have been trying to figure out like what that means for a lot of different things. And it's only in the last couple of weeks that I reread this book that said um, a lot of uh, adults have a very obsessive interest with particular shows and characters and things. I'm like, oh, so it's my biology that needs Vampire Diaries right now. It's my actual body that's saying this. So shut off that shame voice and let me watch what I want, damn it. And I would say two things. One, if I can spend hours, and when I say hours, I mean hours, because there's always like three seasons happening a week of Housewives. Mm. Housewives, that's what I'm watching. You can watch Vampire Diaries 20 times in a year and still not have wasted the time I have on women throwing wine at each other. It makes no sense. It's doing nothing to advance feminist ideas, but I am addicted. I won't stop. I won't do it. I will not do it. No. Second of all, this might be my own psyche talking, but I have always assumed that people that watch the same TV show over and over are like genius on a level I don't understand. Because I feel like if you're watching it, you're getting extra things out of it that I'm not taking the time. Like I know the plot for me, it's like, I know the plot, I'm out. I won't watch it again. Whereas there are shows that are so enhanced by really understanding the writing. I mean, we know that about books too. Sometimes you have to reread it to get everything that that author created. And I feel that way about really like TV shows too. Those are complex worlds that they're creating Mm-hmm. That I can see the value in getting watching it again and again and getting something different out of it or something you need at that time that you didn't think about before. Mm-hmm. And I know that some people, people of all different kinds, really enjoy like science fiction and fantasy and stuff. But it's been, been very interesting to see and to remind myself that people with, with neurodiversity, especially like sci fi and fantasy, because it's sort of like, there's this world to become obsessed with and there's it's a very different from this the normal world which is often painful and confusing whereas this world you can watch it again and again and you know what you're going to ex- going to see and you know what the rules are and you know what the, and it's so satisfying so yeah so that's my recommendation is vampire diaries on netflix or once yes. upon a time on disney plus or really any show that you might be shaming yourself about saying fuck it and watch it as much as you want because that's mm-hmm. what you need. Yes, I agree. Mm-hmm. And I, I, um, well, two main things that I enjoyed this year that I think are things that maybe we, I don't want to say we took for granted, but maybe I wasn't as interested in before. Part of it was because of, of your book tour and it mostly being virtual. Um, I just really enjoyed a lot of book events this year that were virtual. I, I am the type that I, I have a family. I, my nights get busy and honestly, sometimes I just don't make the room for that. Like I just, I can't, I don't have time to leave the house, come back again. It, It takes more work sometimes than I'm willing to put in. I just have to admit it that way. But 
allowing some of these events to be virtual and being able to listen to people in conversation, I didn't understand how valuable that was and how much I value being able to do that in my own space. I feel like I'm getting so much more out of those things because I feel it wasn't a rush to get out the door and get there. My mind's not half somewhere else. Like I can just sink in and enjoy it and be present. And I hope I mean, obviously we're not out of the woods of any kind of pandemic yet, but I hope even as we do that, we continue to do that because I think that it's reaching an extra audience that might not be comfortable in crowds that might not want to go around a lot of people that might not feel comfortable um, asking a question out loud, but they can type it onto, you know, a virtual format. Um, I've read a few books where authors have discussed this, like in their acknowledgments that they, that it's been something for them that was really powerful, that it wasn't something maybe because of their own uh, mental health diagnosis or neurodiversity that they haven't been able to have events like that or, mm-hmm. or reach their fans in that way. And it was really rewarding for them. So it's something that I enjoyed and I hope that we continue to do because it, it doesn't take anything away from it. It adds to yeah. it somehow. No, I agree. Both the attending events and the like being part of events, the virtual aspect has made it so much more accessible. Um, yeah. and, and people with other disabilities, you know, like hard of hearing, you know, all that kind of stuff. It's so much more available to all of us. But I know for me, like going to those sort of virtual events and not having to worry about the social component of it or the crowds or all the sensory issues that I know that I have. You're absolutely right. It's so much more enriching. It's so much more like, okay, like I can take this in. And I attended some of those this year as well to get some like perspective on new kinds of writing. And it was, it was fantastic. It was great. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I love, I hope that that's something we keep this kind of, yeah. some of this at your own pace type of stuff. Like you can listen to a talk here or you can attend it here. I, I hope, because I think that the way we take in information, I think it's going to have a, a longer lasting impact if we allow for yeah. multiple ways to receive something. Um, and I, I just, it's, it's powerful. And I think that gets lost sometimes. Like people just think it's a symptom, like, oh, it's so sad. We have to do this virtual. Is it? Sad though. Sad. I mean, well, and I think you're right. Like some people really prefer the other way, and that's great. But for so long, those of us that don't have not been <laughs> accessible. It's yeah. not accessible to us. So yeah, you're absolutely right. I think this is a good side effect. I think, uh, and another way that I've seen it is Evan's. My son Evan, his school is um, live streaming almost all of his music events now. And they did that specifically because they started in the pandemic because they have grandparents that wanted to come, but maybe it wasn't safe or they didn't feel safe. And I think that is wonderful. What a great way. What if you don't live in the same town as your grandchild? It's amazing. And it's, they do a great job with it. The, the AV department, the zooming in on the, it's wonderful. And I think it's a great way to expand and open this to, to more people and be more open to some of those things that maybe we wouldn't have before. Oh my God. So 2021 wasn't all that bad. It's like we said. Yeah. The other thing. What? That I was going to add. Yeah. It's a self, it's a self-care thing. Let's hear it. My self-care thing this year was a milk frother. <laughs> <laughs> and- you know, can I just say <laughs> But every year that we've done this, every year that we've done this, there's always some product that you bring up uh-huh. without any product placement. This is not you being, you know, given this is not an ad. It's not no. ad. No, nope. it's not fighting 
<laughs> there's a product out there that has changed my life and I must share it with you. And I, I appreciate it. I think it's great. And it's always a product that's been out for years. So I'm not, it's not cutting edge. It's not brand new. It's a little handheld milk frother. I haven't even explored flavors yet. I have just been frothing my creamer to yeah, put my have. coffee. And I'm telling you, when your milk is frothed and you're not used to it, it feels fancy AF. You are decadent. It's decadent. And I just enjoy that cup so much more because it feels like extra love went into it. Even if I had to do it with a handheld frother, it just feels good. I, mean, I had no idea it was that easy. I didn't know it was that easy. I may have to try that. Although I don't put a lot of milk in my coffee. Will it no. do anything for me if I do? Okay. Yeah. You Let's can do it with almond milk or anything. Yeah. It'll, yeah. it'll froth it up. Froth I don't know. If you froth it up. Word to the wise. Oh, you can over froth. <laughs> <laughs> I assume you, you say this from experience. You get more of like a meringue. Oh, without the egg, like oh. it gets really big and you're like, that's too much froth. And then that's it doesn't pour it out. It's like a blob of froth. And you're like, no. that's not, no. Yeah. That's then you have good. to start over and that's frustrating. So okay. just do the recommended seconds. They say on the package is what I found. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. You, always, and, you find the good products, Aaron. And you're bringing it yep. to the listeners. 20 years after they came out. <laughs> <laughs> but really, if you ask anyone in my family, they'll tell you that I was obsessed with my milk frother. So, yeah. Just as you were obsessed with press on nails. I was. You were obsessed with the, like, the, the, sh the speaker in your bathroom. My shower so speaker. Shower still speaker. using it. Still, still using it. Good. My good. coffee warmer that sits That's on my right. desk. Yes. Mm hmm. Uh -huh. mm -hmm. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I know I had some other like health products I got this year, but they're kind of gross. And if you want to know, I guess you can message me, but oh, wait, great will too. you tell us about the, the, the one? Yeah. 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 I did get a Navage, which mm -hmm. if you have allergies or are familiar with like stuffiness, you might've heard of this. You might've heard of the neti pot, which is where you pour water in one nostril and it comes out the other. Ugh. Yeah. This is a little more brutal. It doesn't hurt, but it's, you basically you stick two things in your nose, like two little um, suction things. And you have this machine It has a saline solution in the top and you press the button and the water goes in. And then the other little thing sucks it out into the bottom there. But what's happening is it's sucking out all that stuff that's in your head. And I, for one, get really bad pressure headaches. If I have a lot of that, I can, and I have found that I can prevent a migraine with this system because it pulls all of that pressure out and it pulls out the allergens so they don't sit in there and irritate. It's disgusting. You should never do like it. Satisfyingly disgusting. So satisfying. Yeah. It is. I don't do it around anyone because I don't want anyone to have that picture in their head. But I can tell you that there's pure joy when I get done and I look at all the stuff that came out of my nose and the bottom of that. I'm like, this uh -huh. is the best thing ever. Yeah. Because now, all that stuff was hurting you and now it's not. Yeah. Uh -huh. And people freak out. Like, don't you waterboard yourself? Like, how do you prevent the water? You just close your soft palate, which is as easy as pressing your tongue to the roof of your mouth. And then it just, it goes through. It's not hard. You're not going to drown. There is a, it's a time tested product. <laughs> I'm, I'm new to the game. It's been out for a while. And 
it was life-changing. You told me once that you are now doing it after coming over to the house with, yes. the, with the podcasts around and it's mm-hmm. helped a lot, right? Yeah. For some reason, my allergens, they tend to settle in my forehead and underneath my eyes. Like sometimes when I'm there, my eye will swell just from allergens. And especially if I've had other allergy exposure before that, it's like doubling it up. But when on Sundays now, if I come that back, I do it and I can tell I get a lot less, like, I don't feel pressure. I don't go through like that little bit of allergy time. It just takes it out because it's not sitting in there, which makes sense. I just didn't ever think that there was a, it's amazing. It's so amazing. I mean, I guess Navaj, if you would like to give us sponsor dollars, yeah. I mean, I'm sure you didn't think of broads and books as the <laughs> audience, but you know what? I bet HBO max didn't think of it or Reese's pieces, but we're still vying for those sponsorships. Get on that. You know, another one that should uh, come at us is Legos because this right? year I committed to adult Legos and mm-hmm. I've never looked back. I will admit it is a little cost prohibitive, so I cannot do as many Legos as I would like to. But mm-hmm. I can't tell you how satisfying it is to get a big kit of like, you know, the the, the Queer Eye set, for example, which I got not too Amazing. Or the, the Friends set. Or I just did a haunted house this week. Or like the Star Wars Moss Eisley Cantina. All of these things that are like, you know, nerd, wonderful. And clear directions, pieces putting together. You can shut off all the anxiety and fear in your brain. I like to sit there, listen to music, put Legos together, fend off Ziggy from trying to eat the Legos. <laughs> so it's, it's a process. I give him his own bowl of Legos that he can like toss around and chew on. And then we're all happy. Everybody's happy. Yeah. And I have to say, I love seeing, they're so intricate. The adult ones like that, your stranger uh, things one, it has a whole separate yes. world upside down. Mm-hmm. That had to, I'm always amazed when you get one done that I can see, like I can live vicariously. Cause I just get to put together the ones with Mason that he yeah. needs help with. But, but you know, I was thinking about that the other day when I was putting together mine, it's like, yes, there's such an interesting component, I imagine, for kids. Because I don't remember playing with Legos when I was a kid. And maybe it was because it was cost prohibitive. But yeah. like a, a level of uh, different, you know, mechanical, just understanding of your body and putting these things together and reading instructions. It's so cool for kids to be able to do that. But then as adults, too, it is nice to set aside all of your existential crises and just focus on the instruction manual and the pieces provided and make something beautiful. Yes. It's yeah. Glorious. It's actually a skill. I mean, you're honing skills to be able to follow the directions and put, I mean, you sometimes have to critically think because if you're unfamiliar with Legos, it's not written directions. You're looking at pictures and arrows. And every once in a while, you really have to kind of do some critical thinking to be like, well, wait, now they're showing it here. Oh, I didn't do that part. I have to build this part first. So I, yeah, hands down. And I would guess you probably didn't play with Legos because I think, unfortunately, we really gendered them at first it's I mean very that, true like I remember it being more of a boys thing yeah uh, or at least it was marketed that way or discussed that way in my family and surrounding you know neighborhood whatever um mm-hmm. but yeah so I don't remember having that as a kid I think I would have done very well with that as a kid just knowing oh, yeah. myself now knowing myself a little better and like you know my biology and all that kind of stuff so you know I'm doing it now instead and it's- that's great and they're amazing So Legos come at us. Give us some of that sweet, sweet sponsorship. Yeah. 
Because you, yeah. need, you need some help Legos, obviously. Obviously. Yeah. Obviously. So does HBO Max and Navage. And, and Navage. All of it. And and let's be honest, Apple TV. I'm your prime yeah. candidate. I don't have an Apple product. I can help all those people get subscriptions. That's so right. yeah. say the word, Apple TV, and I am yours. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, no, stop talking about Apple TV. Cease and desist. Yeah, like you are not, you're you're not good at this, you brought. No. Say yes, we are. You know what? We might might not be great at shilling, but we know what we like. Okay. <laughs> so that's all I'm gonna say. And we know how to talk about the things we like. We do. So there. I hope that you know you got something out of this that you saw that not all of 2020 was, you know, a shit show. Yeah, I mean a lot of it was, but we mm-hmm. were highlighting the things that weren't. And if you want to start off, like I said, 2022 a little better. Maybe start with something time-tested, something broads approved, whether it's books, TV, hobbies, what have you. Hopefully, yes, done the job for you. And I, we have no idea what 2022 is going to bring, no. but I know for a fact we're going to be back yeah. every other week. Yeah. Bring in the heat like we always do. Coming, Coming in, in hot. hot. With our picks. Yes. And so tune in. Mm -hmm. And in the meantime, happy reading. I'm up again. Same night, another dream. Before trying this recording thing, I didn't remember much of anything of these dreams. I didn't remember much from any of the women. And one night of doing this, and it's broken things open. The dreams are, they're in me, and they're they're coming out of me, and... To me, I am not broken. I am the most whole, most real. Cause their despair. I cause their despair. I wait for the word. I wait for the word. Witch. 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 Look at the mad woman in her cage. She was a woman with holes inside her. That was the heaviest factor. The final evidence. The heart of the issue. Somehow, you understand this. You. You. You hear me. Wherever you are, whatever this is, you... This isn't a dream journal anymore. It's not. That's just. It's just fact. <laughs> and because now this is this is some sort of record. What are these dreams? Maybe there's a better question. Who are these women? Weird Woman is a Broads and Books production. All nine episodes are available January 10th. Listen and subscribe to Weird Woman on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and your favorite podcast platform. That's W-Y-R-D Woman, wherever you listen to podcasts.